Welcome to the Bridegroom Speaks podcast with Laura Ercolino. One of the features here at Hope's Garden is our Brides of Christ groups, which is a heart-led study into the Song of Songs to help us come to know and love Christ the Bridegroom. In our studies, we use a guidebook called the Cantata of Love, a verse-by-verse reading of the Song of Songs published by Ignatius Press. In today's episode, Laura walks us through the first poem of the Song of Songs, exploring the richness we can learn about these verses from the cantata. Enjoy. All right, so we're going to try to do a little synopsis of the first poem of the Song of Songs. So the prologue is the bride, and basically it is a beginning of the song, and it is her song of praise, praise to the bridegroom, describing all the ways that his love intoxicates her and, the, and his, the proofs of his love in his name, his fragrance, the oil, and her longing for him. The very first line, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. In the cantata, it talks about how that line itself contains all the longing of the Old Testament for the Messiah to come. And she wants nothing now but Jesus himself. And then the first poem begins again with the bride. And here in this first stanza. I am black but lovely daughters of Jerusalem. The first thing that she is aware of is that she has this blackness that she's marred in her exile. The beginning of the poem is also called the winter of exile. And so this relates to the people of Israel. When we look at the Old Testament, their time of exile and their longing to return to their land. And for us personally, being in exile in this valley of tears, this fallen world, and her acknowledging that she is black but lovely, that she has the sinfulness, that she has um, trials and sufferings, but she is still lovely to the bridegroom, and that his gaze alone can restore her original beauty and grace. And she also has an awareness that it's because she did not look after her own vineyard that she has this blackness within. So the lines, my mother's sons turned their anger on me. They made me look after their vineyards. Had I only looked after my own. And what's really important as we read the song and we think about the the symbolism and analogies in it to our souls and our hearts, our hearts are the vineyard, the garden. So in this stanza, she's acknowledging, she's aware of the fact that she did not take good care of her own soul, of her own heart. And then she goes on to ask the bridegroom, where are you? Where can I find you? I don't want to follow your companions anymore. I don't want to wander around like a vagabond chasing after other loves, loves that don't satisfy. I know now that the only one for me, the one whom my heart loves is you. And so she's asking, where will you lead your flock to graze? Where will you rest it at noon? The chorus the maidens, the daughters of Jerusalem. You can imagine that those are like her friends that hear her speaking and calling out to the bridegroom. And so they answer her and tell her to go and follow the tracks of the flock. So there's only three voices in the song, the bride, the bridegroom, and the chorus or the maidens, the daughters of Jerusalem. And then the bridegroom appears for the first time. And his first words seem kind of odd when I first started reading the song, and learning what it meant, <laughs> I thought, you know, his, his first words to the bride are, to my mare, harnessed to Pharaoh's chariot, I compare you 
my love. And I thought, really? Like that's the best he could come up with <laughs> to express his love for the bride is I'm comparing you to my horse. <laughs> but when you read the explanations for this line in the cantata, it brings up, it talks, what this really is alluding to is to the Exodus, to the freedom being taken out of slavery in Egypt. So Pharaoh's chariots, he acknowledges that his bride was enslaved in Egypt and that he is freeing her. And actually when, you, when it talks about the mares and the way that these, the gracefulness and the strength of these horses on the chariots and how they would have been bejeweled, how their reins and their bridles would have been covered in jewels. And what he does here is he's saying how even in her time of slavery, he loved her and he saw her grace, her beauty, and her strength, and he's going to free her. He's going to take her out of that exile, and those very instruments that were used to enslave her, he's going to turn them into jewels for her. In fact, this is the first allusion to the Trinity. We shall make you golden earrings and beads of silver, and we're going to take those very jewels that they used to enslave you, and we're going to turn them into necklaces and earrings for you. And this line also alludes to Ezekiel 16, which if you haven't read that yet, as we've been studying the song, that's a really good scripture to take a look at. And then comes the first dialogue of the bride and bridegroom. So remembering that the song is a song, it's a duet, it's a poem, it's a drama. And so here for the first time, the bride and bridegroom are going to speak and respond to one another. And it begins with the bride. So if you also think about this as a movement in movement of the heart in the spiritual life, movement of the soul. So the bride begins in exile. She's far away from her bridegroom, but she's longing for him. She knows that he's the only one for her and she's seeking him. And now she's found him, but she's still far away from him. He is in his own room. While the king rests in his own room, my nard yields its perfume. And the nard, you can think of that as like the symbol of her love her that gives off this fragrance like when we talk about incense and letting our prayers rise as incense to god that is the love and the movement in our heart being a perfume and then she says my beloved is a sachet of myrrh lying between my breast my beloved is a cluster of henna flowers among the vines of engedi so this in a very when we look at like the naturalistic interpretation the literal inter interpretation at this time, you know, they would have worn sachets of flowers and herbs to smell good. People didn't bathe very often. And I remember this too from being an English major. And even like in times of plague, they would wear sachets of herbs and flowers for the perfume. So they would be scented. And also because they believed that that would keep the, the germs and the plague away from them. So if you think of her actually wearing a sachet of myrrh. That's one, one image to hold on to. And the other is, is that between our breast is our heart. And this is where we can keep the bridegroom lying always, is here in our heart, between our breast and our heart. And there is a quote in the cantata, I don't remember the saint's name, but it talks about how she would clutch her crucifix that laid here between her breast and repeat this line to the bridegroom that he was laying between her breast as a sachet of myrrh. So you can think of that too, if you're wearing a crucifix or a medal, a symbol for you to remember that you have Jesus right there. 
And then the bridegroom speaks again. How beautiful you are, my love. How beautiful you are. And so in his first two lines, he gives her her first name, my love. One of the beautiful lines in this stanza, your eyes are doves. So when we talk about that, when we read the interpretation of it, we think about the Holy Spirit as the dove and that she is developing spiritual eyes, the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And that with those eyes, we can see the beauty of Christ, he who is beauty. Her eyes are becoming like his eyes later that she will tell him that his eyes are doves. And she responds to his, how beautiful you are with her own, how beautiful you are, my beloved. And my beloved is the name only of the bridegroom. He never calls the bride beloved, only he is called the beloved. And then this, these next lines between them about how green is our bed and the beams of our house are of cedar and the paling of cypress really are describing how the natural world, the nature, the beauty of the world is their home together. So then we have the images of the flowers, the lilies, the rose of Sharon. And then one of my favorite parts is when the bride compares him to the apple tree. We've talked about the different images and symbols and interpretations of the bridegroom as the apple tree. Of course, the apple tree takes us back to the Garden of Eden first and to the original tree and to the fall. And then it also symbolizes the bridegroom himself. And you can read on, starting on page 140, it will describe how the apple tree is an absolutely perfect image for the bridegroom. And then it also symbolizes the tree of the cross. That is the antidote, the remedy to the tree in the Garden of Eden that was the fall. Our salvation, our redemption from that fall comes on the tree of the cross. Next comes the symbol of sitting in his shade, being seated in God in the shade of God. And this they'll talk about in the cantata, the different places in scripture where this image of being in God's shadow, being covered by a cloud of the Almighty, sitting in his shade, that this is a place of protection, a place of rest, and a place of comfort. And so one of the ways as I pray with the song and speak to the bridegroom through the words of the song is at times when I'm feeling stressed or tired or overwhelmed, just asking him to cover me in his shade, to give me a moment to sit, even if it's just interiorly, you know, to feel his peace within, to know that no matter what's going on out here, no matter what's going on sometimes in my own head that's causing me, you know, that calm to be disturbed, that he can do that. He can pull me right back into his longed for shade under the apple tree and restore that peace in my soul. So, and as we're looking at the story, the plot in the song at this point, the bride was in exile. She was far away from the bridegroom. And then she knew that she needed to seek him and seek him alone. And as soon as she does that, he responds to her, right? In that first stanza after she says, I, I only want to follow you. I want to know where you rest your flock. He responds immediately and calls her my love and lets her know that he's going to free her from what's been enslaving her and keeping her from him. And then in the beginning of the dialogue of the two, he is still in his own room. She's coming closer, but she's still not with him. There's not that union that she longs for yet. And now at this point, now he has brought her. It says, he has taken me to his banquet hall. She couldn't get there on her own. The bridegroom had to come and take her. And so now he's taken her to his banquet hall, 
which there's different translations of that, but the closest one is actually wine cellar. And the wine cellar is the symbol of God's wine is the symbol of his joy and his love. And so now the bridegroom has taken her into this intimate place to feast and to be intoxicated by the wine of his love. And she says, the banner he raises over me is love. The banner actually is an image from battle, from war, that this is his weapon is another translation, that the weapon that God has against us is just love. If we think about how Christ won our redemption, how he achieved victory over sin and death over Satan, it was by sacrificial love. And so here she is in the wine cellar of the bridegroom. He's won her over by his intoxicating, pure spousal love. And she says she is sick with love. She is wounded by love. She's intoxicated and swooning with his love. Feed me with raisin cakes and restore me with apples. And then the next two lines, chapter two, verse six, his left arm is under my head. His right embraces me. So these are, this is one of my favorite verses and it's repeated, I think three times throughout the song. And if you can imagine, the bride is now in this sleepy state, total calm, total rest in the shade of God, total peace. And the bridegroom is holding her. His left arm of tenderness under her head and his right arm of strength encircling her and embracing her and protecting her because he is the perfect gentleman tenderness and strength together. And there she sleeps. And then the bridegroom ends the poem by saying to the daughters of Jerusalem, Shh, don't wake her. Let her sleep in this sleep of peace and love and protection. Don't wake my love until she's ready. For more resources and our consecration to Christ the bridegroom, visit hopesgarden.com the sanctuary where the spousal love of Christ the Bridegroom heals hearts, marriages, and families.